Psalm 68. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, rain in abundance. O God, you shed abroad, you restored your inheritance as it is languished, your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain God, mountain of Basham, O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever, the chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captive in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation, Selah. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your possession is seen, O God, the possession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them, in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, Sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, Selah. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God. 
whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. I invite you to take your Bible and open with me now as we do continue to worship to Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is, uh, is a, rather, a rather lengthy passage. You've heard it read this morning. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to keep it open because you're going to be able to follow with us uh, in a more orderly way if you keep your Bible open and just follow with us through this passage uh, today. Uh, the Bible constantly reminds us that every day since the fall of man, Life has been a battle, and when life is hard, we have vital choices to make in this battle of life. Last week in Psalm 67, we discovered that, that most people have no real personal relationship with the God that we worship, and because you, even when you do believe in God, because you have so many people and things fighting for the priority area of your life, the priority place in your life, truly making relationship with God as the priority of your life might be the toughest battle that you have in life. I mean, you have all kinds of things, all kinds of people just pulling at you for that priority place in your life. And that makes life a struggle. That adds to the battle. I spent one day this week, this past week, uh, in a workshop. It was a conflict management workshop. Conflict is not optional in life. You know that, don't you? I mean, conflict is a part of life. No matter whether it's uh, in your own heart or between your own ears, uh, maybe with a spouse or with a member of your immediate family or relatives in your, in your family, whether it's work associates or uh, friends or neighbors in your neighborhood. Conflict is unavoidable. But we always have a choice in how we manage conflict. And that's what makes life hard. That's what makes life interesting. Over the past few years, I've read several of Larkin Spivey's books. Larkin is a member of our community. He lives right here in Myrtle Beach. And he's a master at connecting events from battles in American history, from the Revolutionary War to the Civil War to the Two World Wars to the personal war that he fought in Vietnam to how God has had his hand in human history. In his book entitled Battlefields and Blessings, he reminds us that conflict and suffering pain lead to freedom. So in a real sense, Psalm 68 that we're looking at today is a psalm of celebration about victory over life's greatest battle. And I welcome you to continue to worship now through this psalm as we work our way through it. When life is hard, this psalm reminds us to do five things. Five things. So let's look at them real quickly. 
First of all, when life is hard, rejoice in God's purposes. We see this right off the bat in verse 1. The psalmist says, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. The psalmist says, rejoice, because God defeats his enemies. I shall arise, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. Those who hate him will flee. I hope you get the picture here. See, the psalmist did not have a sanitized version of God. He had a realistic version of God. Many people today want to have a sanitized version of God where he is so nice and kind and treats everybody, whether they're sinful or not, in the same kind of way. That is not the accurate uh, view of God. Enemies of the true and living God will be driven away, the Bible says, like smoke on a windy day. Verse 2 says they will melt away like wax in a fire. So like Jonathan Edwards said three centuries ago, you don't want to be a sinner in the hands of an angry God. One thing God hates, one thing makes Him angry, and that is sin. I want you to hear that. I want you to let that settle in. Because if you're here today and you're not living in relationship with God, if you don't know Him personally, and you are set on doing life His way rather than your way, you are a sinner. And you are an enemy of God. And I want you to stop right now and just let that settle in your spirit. You don't want to be in that category. And so right now, let the antennas go up as to how you cannot be an enemy of God. How you can live in victory over sin and the enemies that are battling against you and against God in life. See, this passage reminds us that all people whose heart are set on sin and against God are God's enemies. And enemies of God are going to be scattered. They're going to flee. But living in relationship with God is a way that you can not be an enemy of God. And that's where the psalmist takes us. When, when I was a young boy, my older brother and I went on a windy February Saturday morning adventure. We got up early on that Saturday morning. We packed our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches into our backpacks and we took off on an all-day hike journey. Lunchtime arrived and we pulled out our backpacks, but before we pulled out our food, my brother reached into his pocket and he pulled out a pack of matches. Now get the picture here. We were in the middle of a 20-acre grass field and we gathered some grass together and piled it up in a pile and took that match and we struck it and we stuck it into that grass. Guess what? We learned some valuable lessons that day. Before we could get back home and get some help, 400 acres of trees and debris had been obliterated, had burned. We learned valuable lessons that day. We learned that even though the smoke was driven away by the wind, 
tremendous destruction was left behind. And that's what happens with sin in your life. When sin is in control of your heart, the Bible says that God is your enemy. You have become an enemy of God. And you're going to be swept away like smoke on a windy day and like wax in a hot fire. And you don't want to be in that crowd. Because enemies of God will be destroyed just as surely as smoke vanishes in the wind and that wax melts under heat. Verses 3 and 4 give us the result, though, of the opposite. Verses 3 and 4 take us to what it means to live in relationship with the true and living God. When you live in relationship with God, look at verses 3 and 4. You can rejoice because God cares for His people. He describes the contrast here of being an enemy of God. The attitude of the heart of the believer is to be glad, to exalt and celebrate, to be jubilant, to sing praises to God, to sing praises to His name, to lift up a song to Him, and again, to exalt and celebrate before Him. Do you see the picture here? To those who live in relationship with God, there's a party going on here. And even though when life is hard and the enemy is coming after you, when your heart is connected to the heart of God, you can celebrate. You can join that party that God has created for those who live in relationship with Him. So when life is hard, it's awesome. It's awesome to be in relationship with God. God is like the picture in verses 5 and 6 of a family that is held together by the glue that God the Father is to the family. Look at verse 5. Father of the fathers, protector of the widows, is God in His holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoner to prosperity. So according to God's Word, God creates a family-like system with Him as the Father to lead to prosperity to those who live in relationship to Him. According to the early part of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, God created people who, to thrive best within the context of a family. Then Mark's gospel takes that a little bit deeper. In Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35, Mark says that for those who are without a spouse or parents or children, there's God's family, the church. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, the Bible says that we are united by the common lifeblood of God's Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, through the power of the work of Jesus, under the mighty hand of God the Father, is there to take care of us and hold us together through any challenge, through any battle that we face in life, through any hardship that we face in life. Timothy Keller says in his book, The Songs of Jesus, God created us in His image to live well in deep, loving relationships. And one of God's greatest gifts to you is the church. It's not a club or association, but a band of brothers and sisters. So today, friends, rejoice in God's purposes. That can include you today, along with the psalmist.
And I encourage you to join in that band. But remember the warning in verse 6. He comes back with a bookend in verse 6. He says, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. In other words, get the picture here. You have a choice to make. You can live life, even when life is hard, in relationship with God, and be part of the party of being in God's family. But you can choose to live life as God's enemy, separated from God. And if you choose to do that, you're going to be scattered. Life is going to be miserable, the psalmist says. You're going to live in a parched land. Secondly then, when life is hard, remember God's provisions. Not only rejoice in God's purposes, but remember God's provision. We see that in verse 7 when he says, Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah. So he's beginning a thought here in verses 7 through 14 where the psalmist looks back and he calls for a praise celebration for God's hand in Israel's history. He credits God for guidance through the wilderness and in the conquest of the promised land. In verses 7 through 10, he says, He marched through the wilderness as the heavens poured down rain. God provided for His flock, His people. And then in verse 11 and 12, He gave victory and power over kings of armies. And God made them flee. So verses 13 and 14 remind us of the celebration of God's protection. Look at it with men lying among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold, and enemies scattered like snow. Please get the picture here. How could God's people not celebrate when they looked back and saw how God led them through the wilderness wanderings into the promised land? How could they not celebrate when they saw how God brought down kings and dominions with His mighty hand and set them up to live in His promised land? What about you today? What about how God has worked to bring about promises in your life that you could be celebrating. How could you today not celebrate with images that come to you that help you remember about God's provision? See, the wilderness today might be a little more subtle than the desert that God brought His people through from Egypt to the Promised Land. And it might be a little different from Him bringing down kings and dominions to physically go in and physically conquer Jericho and the other great cities that were standing between Israel and them claiming the promise that God had made them to give them the promised land. Again, in Larkin Spivey's books, all of the books that I've read that he has written, he recognizes the fact that God has had His hand in history and leads people who will be fully devoted to Him to victory over every battle that can come our way in life. It's not a physical nation. It's a nation made up of all of God's people all around the world that God truly blesses and leads. 
And I want you to understand that it's important you are a part of that number today. And when you are, you can't help but look at how God blesses in so many ways. But there are going to be challenges along the way. Those challenges today may come a little bit differently from Egypt going through the promised land and entering the conquest of the Holy Land. Today it may look like battles that come at you on a computer screen. Or maybe a cell phone that battles for your attention and competes for your attention and putting God as the priority in your life. It may be an attraction to an ungodly relationship that is a battle in your life today. It may be some spiritually crippling addiction that you battle with. But understand, God wants to be with you and God wants to give you victory. He's provided a way for you to escape every temptation that that you may face. And so today, celebrate along with the psalmist the battles that God has given you memory of in the past as well as what He's going to do for you in the future. God guides and God protects and God is present with those who make all of life about Him today. And once again, I pray that that is you. In the words of the psalmist, he provides shimmering gold and silver-type physical blessings for your life. He scatters enemies like scattering dusty snow. So remember the provisions that God has for you today. When I turned 16 years old, my mom and dad gave me a Bible. And I treasure that Bible they gave me. Because a year later, when I was 17 years old, I went out, went off to college. And during those college years, the words that my mom wrote in the flyleaf of that Bible became a tremendous blessing to me. She wrote two things in that Bible. One thing she wrote in that Bible said this, your sins will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from your sins. If you look at that Bible that I have on my shelf today, that's kind of a treasure trove. You can't bring it out into public like this because the pages have been turned so many times it's fallen all apart. Those words from my mom became a word of prophecy to me and a blessing to me to keep me from falling to temptation through those college years. And I praise God for it. The second thing she wrote in the Bible was this. Where God guides... God provides. And that is so true. That was the heart of the psalmist when he wrote this passage. And as he celebrated that truth, he looked out over the visual mountains that surrounded Israel in verses 15 through 18 of Psalm 68. You have to be there to see it, but there's a picture where the mountains of Bashan run from all the way up from above the the, the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel, through the central part of Jerusalem, through the southern part of the, the Dead Sea. Those, that mountain range runs all the way down the border of Israel. And every time the, the psalmist looked at those mountains, he remembered the provision that God had made for his life. And he celebrated that. In verse 15, he says, O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, Oh, many peak mountain, mountain of Bashan. He's remembering the provision of God by just looking at how the mountain range overtowered him anywhere he went in Israel. 
This constantly reminded the psalmist of the watchful presence and provision of mighty God. In verse 17, with the presence of God, the celebration just kind of breaks out. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now a sanctuary. A sanctuary is a place of safety. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of security. So let me ask you, are you allowing physical images in God's creation to remind you today of the great provision of God in your life? God's continual presence and His provision is with you today. He's here. And He cares, just like He did for the psalmist. So how do you allow God's creation to give you visible remembrances of the provision of God in your life? There's a major reason why I walk along the beach and I'm reminded of the provision of God. I walk through the mountains in the upstate and in states surrounding us and I'm reminded of the provisions of God. I come to a worship service like this with people like you. So many different backgrounds, so many different cultures represented even in our worship service. And I celebrate the fact that that's part of God's provision for you and for me. And just as the psalmist broke out in praise, so I break out in praise when I think about God's provision for you and me today. Verse 18 then takes on a highlight. And I know this section is a long section. But the pinnacle, the high point of this section in this psalm is reached in verse 18. Where the, verse, where the Bible says, You ascended on high, leaving a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that God, that the Lord God may dwell there. The Apostle Paul picks up on this passage and he uses a principle that you and I need to use anytime we interpret Scripture. Scripture is always best interpreted when it's applied to other Scripture. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul reveals the true meaning of the celebration for you and me today. The psalmist didn't have this picture, but you and I have this picture. In Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, Paul takes our royal celebration of God that the psalmist describes here to two of the greatest provisions that you and I could ever have in life. One is the cross and the resurrection. Every day, and especially on Sunday, we can celebrate the cross and the resurrection because the, the Apostle Paul picked up and said, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives before you in your train. That's what Jesus did when He arose from the grave. He died on the cross. He arose from the grave. And He gave us victory over sin. What a provision of God. But that's not all He provided. In verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives. And listen to this now. He gave gifts to men. The psalmist said he was receiving gifts among men. 
And under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul paints a perfect picture for you and me. Not only did God give us a provision of the cross and resurrection, but He gave us the Holy Spirit to give gifts to us, to empower us, to use the gifts that God has given us to build up His body, to build up His church, and to celebrate life in community with one another. What a great provision God has made for us today. He gave in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 4 the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints. Every spiritual provision that you and I need in life is provided for us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a provision of God. What a provision of God. Some of you are here today and you've been through tough battles. Some of you have been through physical health battles. and Some of you, I see, have been through battles that are almost indescribable health-wise. And you're here today to give celebration to God because He's provided you with restored health to be able to move forward in life. For all of us, our safety, our refuge, our security comes to us through the power of the resurrection and through the gift that God wants to give us of His Holy Spirit. So when life is hard, remember God's provision. And that leads me to the third thing. When life is hard, realize God's power. We see that in verses 19 through 27. In verse 19, the psalmist says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Do you see the power the psalmist offers to us in this thought? God, like a mighty person of strength, God lifts our burdens. Did you come in here today with a heavy burden? If you didn't, you have in the past. Or if you didn't today, you will in the future. But realize that God's power is there to hold you up through any burden that you face. He daily bears our burdens and provides a way for us to escape any battle that we're in. To bear someone's burdens, as you know, is to sympathize or identify with or become involved in that person's life so that they do not have to face that burden alone. And again, God's power is available to you and me today in the same way. God wants to hold us up. For you and me in, in Jesus Christ, God literally came to this world that He created and he identified in the best way possible by becoming one of us, becoming mortal, becoming a human. He bore not only becoming mortal, but he suffered ultimate suffering in allowing himself to be a sacrifice for your sin and allowing his blood to be shed on Calvary's cross to pay the price for the penalty of your sin and my sin. He willingly took the judgment of the sin of the world 
that must be applied because of the nature of God to judge all sin. He willingly took that judgment upon himself. Only a God of ultimate power could do that. And he willingly did it for you and me. The weight of that burden literally crushed him. But God took the greatest enemy of man and through the cross and the resurrection turned it into the only way that you and I can have victory over our ultimate enemy and the ultimate battle of life against sin and against death. And so the psalmist in Psalm 68 turns to celebrate that in verses 21 through 23. He describes what that looks like. He says, but God will strike the heads of the enemy, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. I don't know how you interpret that passage, but and we don't have time to go into a total depth of it now. But I want to tell you something. That's not a pretty picture. In fact, that is almost an indescribable picture of how much God hates sin. And He's going to judge sin. And it's going to be worse than a bloody mess. It's going to be worse than bringing people back from the dead just so they can be destroyed and their blood can be poured out so dogs can lick their blood. That's the picture. That's the image here. Judgment is real. And God always judges sin. He always has and He always will. So friends, understand that. Understand that even though this is a horrible picture, it's reality. It's what the judgment of sin truly is like. Again, Timothy Keller says, death used to be just an executioner. But for those in Christ, it is now a gardener, an usher to convey our souls beyond the utmost stars and poles. Here's what he's saying. God took the one burden that can crush you, that can destroy you, and he turned it into the holy bridge to salvation for you and me. Again, only a God of power could do that. Religion, working your way to God, is impossible. It can't set you free from sin and death. Your significance and your self-security can't rescue you from death. I don't care how good you think you are. Death is the enemy that you can't defeat in your own strength, in your own power. But victory over death, life's greatest enemy, is yours through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can access the victory of allowing God to bridge you back to Himself, forgive you of your sins when you repent of your sins and believe in Him and turn away from your sin and turn to Him. You can be bridged back to that relationship with God that takes you 
from being an enemy of God to being in God's family. Have you experienced that? Oh, I trust and pray that you have. Realize today that God reigns in celebration because of his power. So in verses 24 through 27, we see again the celebration breaks out. It's the picture of a royal parade. In verse 24, he says, Your procession is seen, O Lord, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. And then he breaks out and he gives details about this procession. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them the virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. There's Benjamin, the least of them. In the lead, the princes of Judah in their throne, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. We have a beautiful picture of a processional here. And in our culture today, there are at least a couple of illustrations that we can relate to that describe this picture. One is the picture of a wedding. You've been to weddings. Who gets to be seated first in a wedding processional? Well, the grandparents usually are the ones who are processed down front to be seated in places of honor first, and then the parents of the bride and the parents of the groom. And then comes along the bridesmaids. Do you get the picture here? That's the picture that the psalmist is painting here. It's that kind of processional. And then ultimately, the star of the show arrives. <laughs> the doors open up and the bride comes down the aisle. And that's the picture of Jesus Christ being presented in such a beautiful fashion to the world. Another illustration is more earthly. Uh, it's like a parade. You've all been to parades, right? You've seen parades on TV. Uh, our family started very early. The first year of our marriage, we started watching Thanksgiving Day Parade on Thanksgiving because we'd get up in the morning, begin to fix lunch, you know, for Thanksgiving. And while we were fixing lunch, preparing it, the Thanksgiving Day Parade was on. You remember how that goes? You have the floats that come first and you know, there's some acts that go along the way with people jumping up and down and that kind of thing, uh, acrobatics and so forth, and uh, more floats come. But then ultimately, ultimately, the star of the show of the Thanksgiving Day Parade arrives. That last float, that very last one coming down is who? Yeah, Christmas celebration is breaking out at the end of Thanksgiving. Or either... The football game starts, you turn on the, t you, turn, you look at the channel and the parade ends and the foot, I don't care how you want to look at that, but they, you, you save the best to last. And that's the picture that the psalmist is painting here. The most prominent one, ultimately, is finally presented. Now here's the point. Here's the point. Don't miss the parade. God is inviting you to the party. And the only way you miss celebrating the party is for you not to be living in relationship to Him. I love the way the psalmist continues to bring this point back because by God's grace, and only by God's grace, you are invited to take a prominent place. Now for you and me today, 
in our post-resurrection culture, the Bible teaches us that you and I are going to be the bride of Christ. We're going to be the one that's presented spotless and sinless to the bridegroom. Can't you get excited about that? Can't you get excited about celebrating God's power and creating as only He could by His grace and through His faith gift to you and me the opportunity for us to be presented as the bride of Christ? Only by God's power. Only by His grace. Can that be true in your life and my life? So when life is hard, rejoice in God's purposes. Remember God's provision. Realize God's power. But then fourthly, request God's protection. And this is really big. I know some of you have recently done that. In verse 28, the psalmist says in Psalm 68, Summon your power, O God. The power, O God, by which you have worked for us. The psalmist had total confidence in the protective power of God. He knew God in His power. And he called on that power to place an umbrella of protection over his head. He was looking back and remembering. He was looking forward and he was summoning God's, God's protection in his life. And every day you can have God's protection working in your life just like the psalmist counted on God's protection to be working in his life. There was no doubt in the psalmist's mind that God's presence and God's protection would be with him trampling out his enemies. I've said this before, and I'm saying it now. Your greatest enemy in life is sin and death. And in, in God's provision, He's made a way to be your protection over sin and death. In a Bible study this week, my wife said to someone, when sin knocks, send Jesus to the door. Are you aware that you can do that? When tempted to sin, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're part of the family of God, if you're in relationship with God, you don't have to fight that battle alone. He's there to fight it with you. He gives victory over temptation to sin so you can put your trust in Him. And His protection is available for you today. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. The Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But will with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I want to tell you something. That verse of Scripture is worth memorizing. That verse of Scripture is worth calling on God to supply in your life when you're under heavy temptation. I'll never regret memorizing that verse of Scripture and applying it to my life. 
See, one day the psalmist reminds us again in Psalm 68, verse 29. One day all believers in all nations will join in a combined celebration of God. And it's awesome. But we don't have to wait till then to celebrate. We can join the psalmist and celebrate now in the conditions that we're in now. Verse 29, he says, Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Once again, make sure you are joining in the celebration of God's power and God's protection over you. We know today, post-cross and resurrection, that Jesus Christ is the final temple. Only He unites the holy God with the enemies that you and I face. In John chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, the Bible says, So the Jews said to Him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. See, this passage reveals to us that Jesus is the ultimate temple. It also reveals a couple of more things to us. It reveals to us that there are a large number of people, the majority of the people in the world are not counting on Jesus being the temple of God, that God's people find that shelter underneath the religious leaders of his day, the political leaders of his day didn't buy it. And most people today don't buy it. The very disciples who walked with him didn't understand it until after the resurrection and then they 100% caught it like, I pray that you and I will catch today. So don't be like the Jewish leaders and miss him. Don't put off falling under his umbrella of protection. Give your life to Jesus today. In Psalm 68, verse 31, he says, Noble shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hand to God. So people from all nations will be drawn together and united under God's protection. And once again, the powerful, almighty God that we know and serve is available to you. And you can summon His power and His protection over your life today as well. Trust Him to rebuke and to trample and to scatter any enemy that you might be facing today, whether physical or psychological or emotional. Trust Him to trample those enemies today. And finally today, when life is hard, Reaffirm God's praises. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to join together and we're going to affirm that, O oh, kingdoms of the earth, O oh, kingdoms of the earth, and that includes you and me. So are you ready to repent of your sin and reaffirm that you stand with God today in His kingdom? The psalmist said it this way in verses 32 and 33. Sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. 
to him who rides in the heavens, ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You have the opportunity to join the chorus today to reaffirm his majesty and his power. You have an opportunity today in this worship service and every week in the worship services that we have to celebrate God in all of his awesome power, in all of his protection, all of his provision. This psalm concludes with this strong call to worship. And I invite you to look at the awesome God for who he is. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel, verse 35. He is the one who gives power and strength to his peoples. Blessed be God. Bless him today. Reaffirm. God's power. Join the psalmist and join us with your words and your prayers and your life, allowing it to be a blessing to God because blessed is God. Now, before we sing a couple of songs of celebration today, let me remind you by way of application of just three brief things. Number one, I want to challenge you to look back and celebrate God's blessings. Number two, I want to challenge you to look forward from today and in the future to celebrate God's power. And number three, I want you to join me today in looking up, looking up and celebrating God's presence for eternity. Would you bow your heads with me as we celebrate victory that we have in Jesus when life is hard? We understand that your ultimate purpose in life is to give glory to God. We understand that the greatest enemies in life are sin and death. And you, you can have victory over sin and death, which ultimately comes by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. God, thank you today that we do have victory that ultimately can be celebrated in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, I pray that if there is one person under the sound of my voice who never has admitted that they are a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ shed His blood to pay the price for the penalty of their sin, literally dying for their sin, and repenting of their sin, turning away from their sin, and turning to God to live a life that is all about Jesus. God, I pray that right now will be the moment when they realize that this is a moment of choice. They have to choose right now between living a life as an enemy of God and living a life in relationship to God. So, oh, how I pray right now Someone, someone would join the family of God right now by trusting Jesus. God, how I pray now that as we join with them, as they've made that decision, and as we celebrate the fact that each of us as believers have made that decision, we join in recognizing you as the awesome God you are and worshiping you as the holy, holy, holy God. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen.